This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Death taxes and Manchester City drawing 1-1 away from home. We'll continue to pick the bones out of what went wrong in Leipzig, moreover what actually went right, while switching attention to another, yes, another away trip at the weekend. It's Friday the 24th of February. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm David Powell. And this is the City Report. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Happy Friday, chaps. Um, any nice weekend plans, David? Anything in, in the pipe works for your Saturday and Sunday? Oh my God, it's put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I'd have to check with the wife. I think. <laughs> um, I think I think this weekend, yeah, I may, I don't know, 5.30 kickoff, Bournemouth, that'll be 100% the only thing that I know that's in a diary. Maybe a gym session, maybe a few walks, because it's getting a bit sunny now. Mm, yeah, yeah, lovely bit of weather. I know you're a bit further down south, so you get you get the warmer weather. We're still a little bit chilly. Um, Adam, it, it, it's snowing in Portland. Uh, what's that about? It's nearly March. I'm not sure if it's snow or an alien invasion because it is a full-on apocalypse here. It, it, for some reason, so for for transparency, I did not grow up here. I grew up in a place that gets much more snow than than Portland, Oregon. And Portland just shuts down at the littlest bit of snow. Um, I think we got 10 inches, which to be fair is a decent amount of snow. Um, but there, if you just like walk outside and walk down a main road right now, there is just like cars littered in ditches. There, It's just like complete, complete anarchy. It looks like the set of a, of a post-apocalyptic TV, uh, TV series, but, um, yeah, I've got we've got opening weekend of MLS this weekend. We'll see if uh, 
the snow melts by then, if we're or if we're going to have a nice uh, snowy affair at Providence Park this weekend. Who have the Timbers got? Uh, Kansas City. Kansas City. The, bar- the barbecue team. If you if <laughs> you are like me and you know teams by their god awful chants in this country, then uh, Kansas City are the barbecue team. Are you going to sing it for us? Absolutely not. <laughs> barbecue, barbecue. <laughs> God, it's that's enough for that. Down the line, sing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, by the time this goes out, I'll be hurtling. Well, probably not hurtling, given this country's railway facilities. More like trundling down to London for for City's League Cup final on Sunday. Um, that should be good, shouldn't it, Dave? Oh, oh wait, no. Actually, we didn't make it again. <laughs> what a shambles! Terrible, terrible. We've lost our trophy two years in a row, and it ain't coming home. I know, I know. God, that needs to be that 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 needs to change. I, I will actually be in London this weekend, going to see ABBA instead. So I'm um, actually pretty excited about that. Uh, we'll we'll crack on then. We'll crack on. A bit of housekeeping before we get into our main discussion today. You've probably seen by now that the government's white paper on the future of football and the implementation of the independent regulator has been released. It was released on Thursday afternoon. It's obviously a big story, uh, an important story, especially in the context of the charges placed on City by the Premier League. However, in the next couple of weeks, uh, sorry, in the next couple of days of, of, of next week's schedule, we will cover it. We're not going to do so today because it, it is one of those topics that needs people to sort of sit down and really digest the, the nooks and crannies of it. So if, you, if you're looking for some information on that, then, then we will definitely have it Monday, Tuesday. We'll speak about that. For today then, Adam, we're going to sort of, we're going to look back at Leipzig still in the first part of this show, but we're, we're going to try for the first time in a couple of weeks to take a step back and offer a touch of objectivity. Because I feel like we, it's been a bit Groundhog Day on this show in the last couple of days, uh, in the last couple of weeks, sorry, in the sense that we're coming on. It's like a circular cycle of we're praising City. It was so good. It was fantastic. Then a result goes bad and it's all doomsday. You know, we'll try and land somewhere in the middle. Starting with you, Adam, results suggest this, performances suggest this, comments after the Leipzig suggest this from Guardiola. There's clearly something not quite right at the club. I don't sort of particularly buy into the sense that the walls are falling down, everything's going to go wrong, City going to get, well, City genuinely could get relegated with the Premier League charges, but you know, this season, City is still doing very good to be where they are. However, there's a lot of talk about a, ta- uh, sorry, a, um, uh, uh, what's the word? A, uh, uh, what in the summer? What's happening in the summer? Rebuild. A rebuild. Yeah, I know he said a takeover. Um, so a rebuild in the summer. Last night you were talking us through on on the group chat about who you wanted to see, who you wanted to go. So if you're in the boardroom for City this summer, you've got everyone's faces in front of you. Who's going in the keep pile? Who's going in the sell pile? So yeah, I think just before I list those players, I think we are seeing a little bit of burnout. Right now, I, I, weirdly, I think we're actually going through a similar situation to Liverpool at the moment. Theirs is just on a much more catastrophic scale than us mm. because we've had, we kind of already started our rebuild with the likes of Holland and Alvarez, and there has been some kind of fresh blood to, to freshen things up. Um, but looking ahead to the summer, I think there's the obvious positions of need left back. Um, midfield is going to have some question marks over it. Probably another fullback, either another left or right back. Either way, I think that's probably the thinnest part of the squad. Um, But I think the candidates to go are kind of obvious. You know, you've got Bernardo Silva, 
who's been wanting a move away for years now. Laporte, probably, who I think is an elite defender, but he doesn't seem like the kind of player that can handle potentially being on the bench if other elite defenders in the team are playing better than him at the moment. And you can't really be a player like that and be at this club at the moment. So um, I think those two are probably nailed on to go to one of the three big clubs in Spain. Um, And then from there, you know, I think we've got some aging parts of the squad. You look at the midfield and Gundogan's been great this year, but he's, what, 32 and coming towards the end of his contract. Um, He may be a player that moves on. There's been kind of some back and forth there. But if I were in the board, the boardroom, I would probably be going for a big overhaul in midfield. So probably Gundogan and Bernardo to leave. I hate to say this because I think he's magnificent. I think Riyad Mahrez is probably close to hitting his wall here. And the reason I say that is because it's already a position that needs freshening up. I think Jack Grealish has proven that he is going to be a mainstay in the team for probably the remainder of his prime at this point. Um, Phil Foden doesn't look like he's going into midfield anytime soon. So you do have two wingers there. We don't really know what's going on with Cole Palmer. It feels like this time 12 months ago, he was a nailed-on first-teamer down the line, and it doesn't feel like that anymore. So we could be looking at a few wingers to come in, and and my fear with Mares is I think when he hits his wall, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an almighty crash because I think he's the kind of player that if he's not on it, he's totally, totally invisible in games. He doesn't really give you anything else if he's not on it with the, the trickery and the creativity. Um, so those are my big three names right there. Mares, mm. Gunduan, uh, four actually. Mares, Gunduan, Bernardo, Laporte. And I think you've got to replace all four of them. And you've probably got to get one or two more players in each of those positions as well. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Um, I think you're spot on in the sense that City's rebuild started last season with Haaland, with Calvin Phillips. You know, there's, there's so many questions here. Calvin Phillips, another player we've barely seen. You mentioned Cole Palmer there. Um, we'll, we'll try and sift our way through then, David. First, one I want to speak about Ilkay Gundogan. He's obviously, his contract expires in the summer. There's been... It's, it's textbook use of this term, but mixed reports. One week you're looking at the uh, at some stories that Gundogan's going to be offered a new contract at City. The next you're looking at others that there's doubts and there's hesitations from the club. Barcelona, I mean, Barcelona are interested in literally anyone who's ever played for City. They'll be calling up Andy Hinchcliffe next. But, you know, there's, there's that sense that there's going to be over the next couple of weeks, quite, a, and, and you know, towards the end of the season, a big conversation to be had. If we're assuming this role of Man City board directors and, and in the hierarchy and directors of football and whatnot, Gundwan's there. He wants to stay, hypothetically speaking, I don't know myself, but if he wants to stay, do you keep him at the club? Do you offer him a one, two-year extension? Or do you think now is the time when this big rebuild is happening to get quite a few bodies out the door? Uh, big question. I think in an ideal scenario, we would know that Bernardo Silva's 100% leaving and then you can go, okay, that sort of midfield position is going to be kept by Gundogan. But the fact that if we went and gave Gundogan now a two-year contract and then Bernardo Silva still doesn't get a move away, we're left with two midfielders that one is aging, one wants out the door, and it could hinder the whole rebuild. Whereas I feel like if if we leave the contract too long down the line for Gundogan, 
and then he just decides to sign with Barcelona or he he feels unwanted, then we could be left with both midfielders leaving. So it is a bit of a sticky situation, really, for City. We've got to, we've got to make a decision one way or another. Personally, I would I would want to keep Gundogan for two years. I think he warrants it whenever he plays in that sort of more attacking role. I think he shows so much class, unbelievable player, Mister Whippy, someone <laughs> who can actually get the goals for us as well. I know Adam said there we we could see the back of Gundogan and Mares, but between them, they they're they're forty goals a season in their in their prime, and that's another massive hole to try and fill after losing Jesus and Sterling and only really replacing those goals with Haaland so far. I would worry. I would really worry. Um, so yeah, for me, Gundogan, two-year contract now and just try and get that Bernardo Silva deal done and dusted as quickly as possible to give at least one spot for a transfer coming in, maybe even two. I think my thoughts with this is when we're looking at a rebuild of at least what I think is a pretty sizable rebuild you have one of two op- or one or two options right you've got the option to slowly kind of position by position rebuild and do it over a number of years and we'll probably have a number of seasons like this one where there's some really high peaks and some really really low valleys right or you can kind of torch it all at once and rebuild it all at once so that you get the cohesion from day 1 and you you know, it may take a couple of years where you're challenging for top four instead of challenging for, you know, the Champions League and uh, Premier League titles. Um, but I think when you look at the age of really important positions and the squad and midfield at fullback, um, then, you know, we're looking at like somewhere around an eight or nine player turnover, probably. So, you know, you kind of have the option to either do it over time, over a couple transfer windows, or you can just kind of do it all at once and start the future now. So for me, I, I would probably do it all at once and just get, mm. you know, the kind of future city going as opposed to, you know, doing another transfer window like we had last summer where you fill in some holes, but some holes are still need to be filled and so on and so forth. So I, I don't know, you kind of have multiple options there. I'm not I'm not totally sure what the right direction to go in is. And and it's a conversation that will will no doubt be being had. And I I, I agree with you in the sense that I'd be I'd be open for the, the second option in the sense that it's not you know, take Cancello, Laporte, these people who have been rumoured to be unhappy with game time and, and the the being the being disruptive in the dressing room, you know, those people have to go for, for obvious reasons. But even the likes of Mares, Gundwan, people who are still revered and still contributing massively for City, you know. Gundogan's played in, I think it's every single Champions League game for City this season. He's obviously he got an assist against Leipzig, albeit somewhat fortunate. However, it's, it takes a lot to get up for seasons year after year after year when you've won almost everything, obviously, by the Champions League. And, and for whatever reason, it's just not clicking at the moment. Fingers crossed. It takes a lot to get up for seasons. And when you go in to Crystal Palace, you go into Wolves, you go into Aston Villa away, when you've done it for the last few seasons beforehand, you almost lose that incentive a little bit. And I think, you know, some of the new players, Haaland, for example, he, he, he looks up for every game because this is, you know, his biggest season in world football so far. I'm sure he'll go on to have much bigger, but <laughs> imagine, imagine 
getting that same passion from Haaland and, and pairing it with an 18-19 City season. Dear me, it would be frightening, wouldn't it? And I, I do think for the sake of the next few years in the summer, it does have to be a sort of a few people go all at once as opposed to sort of maybe focusing on the midfield this summer, then looking at the wing wing position next summer. I mean, bloody left-back. When was the last left-back City signed? It, it, it does need a big overhaul for me. I think the club have to be really, really wary of not giving some of these players lifetime achievement awards with mm. contracts. And I think we're coming now to the end of a cycle. Chelsea has experienced this before. United have experienced this before. Liverpool have experienced this before, where you have this golden period of such supreme dominance. And you kind of come to the end of the cycle and you think, well, look at look at what these guys have done for us. How could we, how could we ever come to terms with, you know, letting them go when they still want to keep playing football. But as much as we as fans see the emotional side of football, if you're one of the suits up in the Etihad offices, you have to be ruthless. You can't be giving guys that maybe potentially could hit their wall overnight two, three-year contracts because of what they've done in the past. You can only be looking towards what they might do for you in the future, and I think we've got to be wary of that. I, I think with that, what you both said there about the quick overhaul, if you think Pep's only got two years left on his contract now, if we have another season like this one where it's just floating through obscurity, maybe winning something, maybe not, and then banking on having one final big season with him, I'd be worried. If he's if he's building and saying he's, he's going to be here to sort of give us another new side. It needs to be for next season, doesn't it really? It doesn't need to be for his mm. final year because I can't see him signing another contract extension post this one personally, but I could be wrong. But yeah, I, I, I think it needs to be a big, big summer this year. Which is a, a beautiful segue because we stuck a tweet out on the City Report podcast account at City Report Pod if you're not already, basically saying if money wasn't an option, which we know for City, despite contrary reports, it absolutely is. Um, who would you sign for City in in these three positions, which were midfielder, winger, left back? Basically. Uh, most of the answers, obviously not every single one, most of them referenced Bellingham, most of them referenced either Raphael Liao or Kravashelia from Napoli, and and quite a few of them, uh, left-back was was a, a, a contrasting, a few contrasting answers, Ben Chilwell, Tio Hernandez, you know, big, big names. Adam, I and, and I'll bring in almost like a, we're on a chat show. I'll bring in the context of the city charges from the Premier League and whether or not that will make an, a, a difference. Does City have it in them to go out and almost Chelsea style, Man United style, break the bank, sign players that are not only going to do it five five years down the line, but are going to do it now? Because I think, as David says. You know, after this season, we've got two years of Guardiola absolutely secured. There's also probably going to be two more years of Haaland absolutely secured before any sort of talk of release clauses come into play. These next two seasons, if City are serious about winning the Champions League, and I know that you know divides opinion in the fan base, but let's be honest, City should be at some point lifting that trophy. Um, it's gonna it's gonna have to click soon, isn't it? There's not gonna be able to have like this two year transition period because soon enough, sooner rather than later, Guardiola's gone, the pool's gone, new manager comes in. It might take a couple of years to, to sort of rebuild from that itself. Yeah, you're right that the the charges play an interesting role here because without those looming over us, I would say 
I think City are on for a massive summer. I think they're going to go out and they're going to look for a Holland-level signing in all of their positions of need, essentially. Um, but those do you know, kind of pose a little risk factor if you're an agent of one of those players and you know, if you're Jude Bellingham's agent and he says, yeah, you may go there and win the Champions League and the Premier League in two years, but in, in three years' time, they could be in you know, League One. We don't, we don't really think that's going to happen. By all accounts, it sounds like the worst thing that might happen to City is a points deduction. And I think most players, at least younger players, can deal with that. Um, but if you take away the charges and we just look at this from a purely footballing point of view, I think City have it within them to go. I mean, when's the last time we had a big spending spree? I mean, it was really, what, 2017, 18? Yeah, yeah. The the first real rebuild under Guardiola. Um, so that we know that the club have it in them. And I think the good thing about the market right now is that there are a lot of players, many of whom were mentioned uh, in that tweet, that are young and have potential resale value down the line or you know, whatever you want to get out of them being young, but also can step in and do it now. I mean, Jude Bellingham, starting in the World Cup, starting for Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. Uh, Kravacelia is, is just like ripping Serie A to shreds, and he's young. Mm. So there are players out there that can come in and immediately make the team better, but they aren't 28, 29, going to be on 300 grand a week, and you have no resale value. So the club will still be able to use them as financial assets down the line, like we know they like to do. Do you think that the sort of the club's transfer policy this summer is going to be a bit of an indicator on how strongly confident they are about these charges? If we go and sign yeah. Ward Prowse and the Fulham left back, it's going to be a little bit different to going out and buying that Napoli winger, Jude Bellingham, and Teo Hernandez. So I yeah. think we're, we're going to see quite how confident City are in terms of those by what they do with their checkbook in the summer. But in in summers past, if these charges didn't exist and we went out and signed Ward Prowse and Anthony Robinson and you know kind of a who's who of not sexy names, we would just say, well, this is our A one recruiting department, you mm. know, sniffing out gems that. Mm you know, don't have massive price tags on them because we've never been a club that goes for the Bellinghams and the Pogba's and, the, you know, Holland, as we've all said, it was the first big superstar splash signing. You know, we, we went out and got Rodri instead of, you know, I, I don't know, a Casemiro a few years back. You know, we, we, didn't, we don't always go for the sexy names, but yeah, I guess with the charges, it does maybe sprinkle a little bit of uh, spicy sauce onto the summer. I'm I'm just shocked that you're saying James Ward Prowse isn't a sexy name. That's the sexiest <laughs> of sexy names. Uh, from- well, he's sexy when he steps over dead balls. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Okay. We will we'll part that chat. I'm sure we'll be conversing over it a number of times over the coming weeks and months. That certainly isn't going to go away. Um, join us in part two as we start to look ahead to Bournemouth on Saturday evening. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for Manchester City content. If you haven't already, make sure after this episode you go back and listen to some of the other shows we've done this week. It's been a, an interesting week, lots of takes, some of them good, some of them bad. Uh, let's let's finish the weekend on a high then, boys. 
Manchester City travelling to the Vitality Stadium to play Bournemouth. It's another game, David, against the relegation candidate, another game away from home for City, which fair play to those travelling fans. Um, Nottingham last week... Bur- uh, so Birmingham, uh, no, <laughs> Germany. There's quite a difference between Birmingham and Germany uh, in midweek. Over to the south coast for Bournemouth, uh, Bristol next week as well. It's been a right stint of matches. Mm-hmm. How do you see this one playing out then, David? Because it's a game City really should go and stick four past Bournemouth. Struggling yeah. at the bottom of the table. Could be a chance to get a marker. However, as we've seen in the last couple of games, we're probably going to be on the end of another 1-1 draw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually City are quite good on the back of a couple of bad uh, bad results. So you you would hope that this Bournemouth game is a perfect one for us to go and put out a very similar performance to what happened at Forest. But actually, all the players use their correct foot when they're shooting in front of goal <laughs> rather than uh, using their left feet. Because... I mean, we could we could have done Forest for five. We should go and do Bournemouth for five. And I think it's all it's going to take is just a decent scoreline. I always say it to my dad all the time. It's like someone is due an absolute spanking. And when, when that happens, I think everyone's just going to be like, actually, I do remember that we can score a load of goals. We can pass the ball forward to Harlem. We can do what we know we're good at. It just... Last night with the 1-0 up, I was just sat there thinking, we aren't going to go and win this 2 or 3. It's going to be 1-1 or lose 2-1 because even me as a fan, I'm thinking that and I wonder whether the players are thinking it as well. Like We haven't got it in us at the moment to go and push push past these teams and mm-hmm. go and get the 2s and 3s, but we're certainly due one and I'm hopeful that 5.30 is going to be the one, but I'm not I'm not putting my name on this one to be honest because I've got so many <laughs> predictions wrong now that I've I've given up for the season I think. Yeah, it's it's a sensible sensible option to take. Um Adam it, it's interesting you know we, we all know City are struggling sort of comparatively uh struggling you know City aren't Chelsea they've they have won a few games recently. However, you look at City's away form which is usually a really strong asset for the club. City have won one of their last six away games. They've they've won two away games all calendar year. Um just three I think it is since the World Cup break since since football resumed after the World Cup break. Is it a coincidence that these games, City are playing more away games at the same time that they're struggling? Or is there something genuine in the fact that at home, City can play their own game and they can be comfortable and they can peg teams back and they can create opportunities in, in the rhythm? Whereas going away from home at the moment, there seems to be some sort of disjointedness to the side. Yeah, I think that the general like conservative nature of the team hasn't helped in away games because I mean you look up and down the Premier League right now, there's very few teams that I actively want to go and play away from home. Mm. I mean, look at look at Nottingham Forest. They came up just this season and you go and pick out more than five players in that starting eleven last weekend that haven't played in the Champions League and are probably Champions League level players. I mean, up and down the league you've got really, really tough teams. And that, I think that's a huge contributing factor that no one has really mentioned this season is that there are a lot of really big teams struggling, but you know, from kind of 8 to 15 in the league would probably be in the top 10 of most leagues around mm-hmm. the world. 
And so in this period when City are struggling and haven't quite found their feet, you've also got a lot of really, really good teams. And that's, you know, that's contributing to the fact that we can't seem to win any games away from home. On top of that, um, at home teams have, you know, more of an aggressive intent to come out and attack us. Forrest didn't really. That, that game, as we've said, was a total fluke. If you go to the Vitality this weekend and you basically play the exact same way you did at Forest, you're winning the game. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna hit multiple crossbars again. Holland's not gonna miss from two yards out again. Um Foden hopefully will have shaken off some more rust by then and isn't gonna trip over his shoelaces on a on a two on oh breakaway. Um so to be honest, I despite what the form chart tells us. I'm pretty confident going into this game because I think as fans and as pundits and journalists will look at that Forest game and be like, oh, there's a mentality issue, something's not right. But I think if you're in that dressing room, especially when Pep Guardiola is the boss, he's going to be raining praise on you for that game. I, I do believe that when he comes out and says the performance was great, we just weren't ruthless enough. I think he believes that. I don't. I don't think he had all that much criticism for that game other than the fact that we give up a crappy goal, and we somehow fail to score from two yards out four or five, six times. So uh, I think if you go into this game this weekend with the same energy, the same intent as you did at the city ground, I think you blow them away. Put my journalistic head on now. Could that not be part of the problem? The the overpraise in the sense that City are clearly struggling. And I know it's it's textbook managerial stuff. It isn't just Guardiola. Every manager in that situation, if the team's not necessarily clicking, they'll defend the players. You know, maybe Mourinho might call some of the players out. However, Adam, do you think it's not like does does Guardiola have to come out and say? not good enough. You know, I don't care how you play. I don't care if you have 100% possession, the opposition doesn't touch it once. If you don't score the goals, it's not good enough. Is it time for even Guardiola to sort of put a rocket up the arse in a sense? But he doesn't think like that. Well, exactly. Exactly. I, I don't think I don't think it's the kind of thing that in the interviews, in the pressers, he's coming out and praising his team and keeping the confidence up and then going into the dressing room and and you know having it out with them. I think he truly believes that was a fantastic performance. And I believe that too. Mm. I mean, we can, we can honestly sit here and say that that type of fluky performance in front of goal is going to happen more than once in a season. Because it's not like years past where it's Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus and Bernardo Silva missing in front of goal. We're talking about Erling Holland and Kevin De Bruyne, players that are typically ruthless. Um, and he has criticized when he needs to. You look at after the Leipzig game on on Wednesday when there was all sorts of talk about getting Holland involved, and he flat out said, my players aren't finding him enough. He's making the runs. They're not playing the ball to him enough. So... He criticizes when he needs to. I think he's going to probably get in their ears about playing Holland and behind more, which is another thing I wanted to mention. I think we see them just spamming the ball into space at Bournemouth, if there's space. We don't really know how – I haven't watched Bournemouth since we played them the first time this season, so I don't really know how they set up. They may sit back in a 6-4-1 or whatever, or a 6-4, but – so – I, I do think that they're going to try and get Holland a lot more involved at Bournemouth. And I think that that means we'll probably see some exciting football. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I have, it's insane that we're having to kind of debate over how confident we should be going to the Vitality Stadium. But um, I, I do think that that Leipzig performance and the Forest performance are two complete different entities because mm-hmm. the Leipzig performance is away in the Champions League to a team that had lost once in, what, 18 games. Mm-hmm. And City are going to come into this game at Bournemouth with a lot more aggression, a lot more intent. And uh, I think it's I think it's going to be exciting. And I, I hopefully I'm not eating my words by this time on Sunday, but I, I feel pretty good about a rocket having already been shot up their ass. God, how many rockets can you fill up there, um, David? I, I know what I know what Adam Adam means there in the sense that it, you simply have to start playing to Highland strength. It, it, I, I used the analogy, I think, on Twitter. It's like hiring a babysitter to look after your child and then at the same time asking them to write your university dissertation because the, the, there was debates on on CBS Galazzo in, in the US with Thierry Henry and Carragher and, and Micah Richards and, and Kate Abdo who usually do a fantastic job. And, you know, they did a fantastic job. And But Henri was saying sometimes Highland needs to drop deep. He needs to get involved in the game more. And it's like that that's simply not his game. If you're asking yeah. him to do that for me and when, when and he has done that in the past. That's sort of a telltale sign City is struggling. Haaland could have six touches in a game and he could score a hat-trick. And, and I think that's what City need to find a way. Go back to how it was at the start of the season because it was working then. I just don't quite get why they've stopped it. There's been so many occasions the last few weeks. But hopefully, if there's anything we see on Saturday, it is those balls in behind searching for your striker who can score out of nothing. Yeah, 100%. I think at the start of the season, it looked like a plug-and-play as Adam calls it, that we same system. We were just firing the ball into Haaland from distance and it was working. And then all of a sudden, Pep started tinkering, thinking, right, I need to get that extra man in midfield from defence that I lost with having a striker. Then it seems like some games that our midfielders are absolutely miles away from Haaland and he's completely on his own. Sometimes we're hitting long balls for flick-ons for no one's actually running in behind. We haven't got the Sterlings and stuff running in behind. So I, I, it feels like everything's been tried. The one thing that was working was what was working at the start of the season. That's the one we just won't go back to. It's, mm. it's crazy. I, 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 if Pep sort of insists on playing the the three at the back of the two players that are really close to Haaland, I would love to see Gundogan and Alvarez. Both have got so many goals in them. Both, well, Gundogan's late runs and Alvarez's finishing. If Haaland's going to take the players away, those two are the kind of players I'd want around him to just pick up the ball in the box and score. Um, and hopefully, well, I say hopefully Kev's ill at the weekend which is so weird to say but if he is ill that's who I would want to see playing around Haaland and yeah I think Adam's got something to say (laughs) just to play devil's advocate when you say that it was working in the first half of the season it was working from a Haaland point of view but City were conceding loads of goals and loads of cheap goals I mean you look at that Mm. Newcastle game how how many times did City have to come from behind and win and yes it was Haaland that drove those come from behind victories but if you're Pep Guardiola, especially Pep Guardiola, who's an absolute perfectionist, the last thing you want to be seeing is your team having to consistently come from behind and kind of use the chaos to claw their way back into games. Yeah. So I, I think it, it makes complete and total sense why we're no longer seeing what we saw in the first half of the season. I think what we should be, our conversation shouldn't be about how do we get Holland the ball more? It's not about getting him from six touches to 20 in a game. It's about getting way more higher percentage touches, right? Touches in the box, touches on the end of crosses, not dropping into midfield, playing a little one-two, and oh, great, he's got two more touches. It should be about creating the chances for him. So 
Yeah, I think I think we're also just totally hindered by we're missing tons of weapons in the team at the moment. I mean, Cancelo, how many of Erling Holland's goals in the first half of the season were assisted by Jao Cancelo? And now who's bombing down that left? Nathan Ake? Mm-hmm. He's not he, you know, he just doesn't have this the Cancelo ability to put the ball into the box. You go on the right, Kyle Walker seems totally reluctant to cross the ball into the box anymore. He always goes backwards to his center back. So I think that it's unfair to make any sort of criticism when you're looking at the first half of the season because from a coach's point of view, I'm not Pep Guardiola, but I would imagine that first half of the season was absolute fucking shambles to him because we were constantly two or three goals behind, giving up cheap goals, and we were banking on individual brilliance in the midst of chaos to win games and i would imagine that took years off of pep's life <laughs> I, I, I just to throw a spanner in the works i'd have loved to have seen that start of the season with walker fully fit diaz fully fit and maybe a laporte and stones playing next to him the defense that was actually open was just not the defense you'd want to see not the not the prime stones and diaz and that would would we have been leaking those those that amount of goals if we mm. had our strongest back four, which we've just not played all season. I don't know. It would have been nice to have seen it. Um, but yeah, I do, I do get what you're saying. Look, I've, I've just pulled up some results uh, and I'll we'll, we'll leave it there. But um, first part of the season before the World Cup gate, uh, before the World Cup break, 16 games, City dropped points in four matches. They lost two. In the eight matches since the World Cup break, City have also dropped uh, points in four matches and they've lost two. So you say it was chaotic, it was a shambles, and you, you know, you're probably correct, but it works. And I think that's probably going forward where Guardiola and City will have to find the right balance of conceit uh, of sort of letting some of that control go in return for hopefully some high scoring results starting at the vitality on Saturday. Um, chaps, have a fantastic weekend! It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thanks very much, mate. And until next time, a big thank you from me. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365 day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport, powered by fans.